You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Seeking joy, surprise, disgust, what do they possibly have in common? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Kai McDonald. Kai practices in San Diego, where he is Assistant Clinical Professor of both Family Medicine and Psychiatry at the University of California at San Diego. His practice includes acting as a teaching physician on the consult liaison, emergency room, and inpatient psychiatric units, part-time private practice, and he acts as medical director for clinical trials. Dr. McDonald is board certified in both family medicine and psychiatry. Welcome. Thanks. So Kai, we, we typically think of the big four emotions being anger, fear, what else? The basic emotions, you can use your hand to understand them. And I, I like to think of a big five, which goes by the acronym FACES, which is fear, and that has uh, relevance to us in terms of anxiety disorders. Anger, we see all the time. Care, which is a love emotion that has to do with our practice of medicine. Excitement is a funny one, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later in relation to ADHD and things. And then the last one is sad. The last part of FACES is sad, which is loss and, uh, and emotional pain. So that big five is a good way to, um, to kind of hold in your hand what are, have been described as kind of the basic emotional systems of the brain. Okay, so just repeating, fear, anger, care, excitement, and sad. Okay. So, so clearly those are important, but, but aren't there others that are important as well? Yeah, the basic scientists who study these things have highlighted a couple of really interesting ones. And the fun thing about emotion or affective neuroscience, the scientific study of emotion, is that these have immediate impact in terms of our understanding, and they bring up some dilemmas. For example, there's an emotion that's related to excitement called seeking, which is and the best way to see it is in kids and hopefully in ourselves, which is the energized pursuit of goals. It's not quite like pleasure. Interestingly, um, some people think that that goes awry in attention deficit disorder, and it probably has something to do with playing, too. And so some people, have, to raise a controversy, have talked about um, ADHD drugs suppressing um, some of these you know, normal, uh, joyful, exploratory urges that kids have. So seeking, uh, that might be kind of like surfing on the Internet? <laughs> I, I, I think that's a more complex behavior that I don't know if, uh, I don't know if ADHD medicine helps with that. Or, yeah, I think there's something to that. When you get uh, caught up in active exploration, it's been called a goad without a goal, that you're just excited about something. That's a, you know, you can see that if you um, put a piece of cheese out for, you know, hide a piece of cheese from a rat, they'll go seeking for it. it. You know, hopefully we all have some of that. So you and I both have kids. I'm sure your kids are into this as well. There's nothing more fun to my kids than the game of hide and seek. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and again, I think if we make ourselves lifelong learners in medicine, uh, I try to model this for the residents and students, you know, that can be channeled into academic pursuits and really make for a very exciting um, work life. So, so I'm not quite sure how that translates into ADHD. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that, please? It's a good question. Let's say you over-medicate a child with a short-acting Ritalin. One of the emotional systems that you could see gets really dampened is this activated, energized, pleasurable exploration of the environment. So I'm not advocating either at this moment for or against 
medicating ADHD because I think that's a you know a, a complex issue. But since we're talking about emotions, you could look at that that emotional system gets blunted by you know you heard about kids being made zombies. Mm-hmm. A zombie is someone without the seeking system. Okay, so and that's critical for kids' brain development, as you know. Right. It, it might that also be kind of a hyper focus that it, if you're focused on one thing exclusively, you're eliminating seeking. That's a good question because seeking has to do both with toward a single goal, but also openness toward a variety of goals, so you don't get stuck. So I think you're touching on a on a subtle distinction in this uh, in this issue. And how about addiction? How how is that related to seeking? beautiful um, question because the one of the core components of addiction is a disordered unitary seeking towards something that's not necessarily adaptive for your function. The, the homologue in terms of inside is craving. Craving is a, is, a, is a seeking response for a particular goal that you may know is not a good thing, but your brain doesn't agree. Mm-hmm. So again, kind of narrowing your focus to just obtaining and using that particular drug with the exclusion of the rest of life. Exactly. But tying it into emotions, that's a healthy system gone awry. So, so how about joy? There's a guy named Jack Panksepp, that, uh, and I think about this almost daily in terms of parenting and school, and a recent actually study in pediatrics about the importance of play. Uh, Panksepp is a neuroscientist who tickles mice. And he's talked about the play circuits in young animals and how important those are for socialization, for relationships. You know, and so the take-home is that there's probably a circuit in the brain that has to do with playing, rough-and-tumble play, wrestling, tickling. Every parent knows this is critical. Uh, people with traumatized childhoods have little or none of this. And this probably squirts miracle grow on some of the important circuits that make a happy, healthy human being. <laughs> Except, Kaya, I, I'm having a difficult time with the visual of this. How do you tickle a mouse? <laughs> it's a great question. I, I don't know if you can get the video on the Internet, but you chase them around your, the cage with your hand. Really? And if, if you hold them down, there's, certain, there's a place on the mice called tickle skin. It's the same as in humans. It's in the belly and the pits, and, and they emit characteristic uh, vocalizations that are thought to be similar to human laughter. There's a paper in Science about human laughter and joy and then these vocalizations that rats make. So, again, it's kind of a fun analog to this really critical human emotion. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is family practitioner and psychiatrist Dr. Kai McDonald, we're discussing the science of emotion, but um, clearly, as you mentioned, as a parent, this is something we should be doing with our children. Yeah, and, and Leslie, I don't know the exact paper that was just published in pediatrics, but uh, I think the more and more, as we focus on performance with kids, uh, we run the risk of, as a brain scientist, of uh, squelching this very important, like I said, miracle grow for the brain that gets stimulated when you play and tickle and wrestle and all of these good things that, you know, that in a classroom may look like ADHD. This makes me think of uh, one of the benefits of maybe having a family dog. I love that analogy because I think one of the things that pets allow us to do is in a non-threatening way engage our play circuits, our care circuits. And I think the literature shows that pets are... uh, stimulate human emotion circuitry. So we've talked about seeking, about play and joy. 
How about something that many people may consider more of a negative emotion, uh, lust? I like talking about lust because in, it, since Freud has been marginalized, we don't get to talk about sexuality nearly enough, despite the fact that I think uh, you look at the entertainment media, obviously sex, sexuality, er, erotic issues are still fundamental for human beings. I think of a uh, study that was done where they flashed what's called masked pictures, which is where I flash an image on the screen for such a short period of time and then cover it up that you're not aware of it. And if you look at the brain scans of folks, you could reliably uh, separate out what their sexual preference based on the content of the erotic image. And then they also showed a lot of engagement of the attention circuitry in the brain with this experiment, regardless of whether the people knew what they were seeing. What this has to do with real life is that advertisers manipulate our brains very effectively. You know, what's amazing to me is how advertisers uh, know this brain science and actually sophisticated uh, advertising people now actually put people in scanners, show them different ads, and see which parts of their brain lights up. Yeah. Drug dealers, I think, do the same thing, but behaviorally. How so? You look at what motivates people. These folks know what motivates people. And, you know, you can look at the brain in a scanner or you can look at the brain uh, through behavior. But I, I think your discussion of the imaging of advertising is very interesting. Now, how about lastly, uh, the emotion of disgust? This is a really important issue, uh, an important emotion, especially as it relates to uh, trauma victims, especially sexual and other traumas. Uh, disgust is an emotion that has the action tendency, the impulse to expel things from the body. And what's very interesting, I sometimes videotape psychotherapy sessions, and if you watch people who are describing difficult, disgusting issues, you can see their face kind of curl up. You can almost imagine corners of your nose inching up and things. And, and uh, that emotion is very uh, uh, connected to a lot of the experiences that our patients, unfortunately, uh, um, have can cause people to feel sick to their stomach and nauseous, which is part of you know, psychosomatic medicine. So as practicing physicians, what should we take away from all of this talk of emotions and affective neurobiology? I would refer to something that I call the two-handed model, which is that if you appreciate that the feelings of uh, emotions, which is a right hand, are generated by activity in the brain, which is your left hand, I think it helps you move your understanding of emotions up the scale, that these are real biological events that have all kinds of impact on brains, relationships, and bodies. And, and then the take-home, I think, is that uh, having a more uh, mindful understanding of your own emotional processes can make you a better doctor. So not only of our patients' emotional processes, but our own. And I would say, as, we, as uh, I think we could talk about, given what we know about empathy, and that when you're having an emotion, and I look in your face and your eyes, similar circuits get activated in me through something called mirror neurons, that understanding your own emotions sets the stage for a more healthy understanding of those of others. Now, with all this talk about emotions, isn't thinking important too? As we're talking about thinking and emotion, obviously, I think the first point would be is that we're making a little bit of an artificial distinction that these are blended extremely quickly and all the time. But arguably, thinking and emotion are blended more healthily when we have a mindful perspective on our emotions. When, when I think about thinking and emotions, I often think about the upper part of the brain called the cortex. 
And it's interesting, you can take the cortex out of mice and um, show the mice without a cortex and the mice with a cortex to graduate students, and um, they can't tell them apart. So a lot of our behavior doesn't involve quote-unquote thinking. That said, uh, what we hope to do with people who have emotional disorders, depression, anxiety disorders, etc., is help them have more choice uh, about their behavior and their responses, which is arguably what we're talking about when we are talking about thinking. So, so I think that obviously both melded together in appropriate ways are, are, is a nice balance. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Kai McDonald. We have been discussing emotion science. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.